0: We're going to talk about embracing imagination, okay? And, and so there's a bit of a connection with our, our children thing that we we were doing. Uh, because one of the very first things that we uh, threw up there as a, a criteria for children is imagination, you know, that they're creative and imaginative and so on and so forth. And um, so I started getting this notion that the next thing we need to go into is to talk about imagination. I, I, I feel like uh, there's... A little bit of like the sovereignty thing going on where the scripture some of the King James scriptures and stuff have set a pattern that have caused our imagination us to be skeptical about imagination and then uh, Tim was telling me that uh, you guys were at a conference that Andrew was teaching at, and he was talking about and- or about imagination getting a bad rap and then in- yeah, so, you know, stuff like that's kind of encouraging when it's going around, different people. Andrew and I didn't compare notes on what we're going to teach, so that was uh, that was the Lord. But uh, we'll get started on it. So I've got a little subtopic or subtitle that kind of sets where my heart is going to be, uh, giving form to our heart's belief, okay? That's my definition of the role of our imagination giving form to our heart's belief, and you'll see why in just a little bit. So tonight uh, I wanted to take advantage of, and do an introductory thing because I had a little bit more time. Um, not that I'm going to take all of it, hopefully. But uh, we'll take a look. So imagination defined. This is just a dictionary definition of imagination. The faculty or action of forming new ideas or images or concepts of external objects not present to the senses. Okay. Uh, We had a really interesting dialogue on Tuesday about uh, imagination, and we kicked around the concept, is it appropriate to think of it as another sense, like a sense that can see the unseen stuff? And I think the general conclusion was that's not the best way to do it, but uh, prior to that discussion, I hadn't got into any of the biblical words for it. And so this idea of form is going to be interesting. It comes up in the definition. The second uh, definition is the ability of the mind to be creative and resourceful. And uh, I'm going to extend that to the to the heart as well. Because remember, in the scripture says that uh, it's with the heart a man believes. So there's a function that we normally attribute to the mind that is a part of the heart. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he, yeah. So the scripture definitely points towards the heart having a thinking capability. And the last one is the part of the mind that imagines thing. And I always think it's weird in a definition when you use a part of the word. So I had to go and put the verb part about imagine in, and that's to form a mental image or a concept of or to suppose and assume. So all this is is just a basic English definition of the thing. So I'm going to look at some biblical words with you and, um, we'll see, we'll see where it goes from there. In the King James, there are 32 Old Testament references that are translated from seven different Hebrew words for the words either imagine, imagined, imagination, or imagined, something like that. And the first one is uh, yester. It's, uh, it means a form. That's its most basic definition. It also means framing or a conception of the mind. But this part has to do with structure. Which I thought was pretty interesting it's it's adding a form okay the next one so there's five instances of that there's nine instances of this one uh sherry sherry Ruth and I'm probably butchering the pronunciation, but it means to be obstinate or stubborn okay and an example of that one oh uh, well i I'll, I'll contrast these examples in a second. An example of that one is is jeremiah seven twenty four and actually all of the uses in the in the King James of the word imagination in Jeremiah is this word. And this is another one of those weird kind of King James translations because the base meaning of this word is stubborn. And so if you translate it using the word stubborn, it will say the stub, their stubborn evil heart, which makes perfect sense. Why you would translate it imagination of their evil heart, I don't know. Uh, but maybe. Maybe we will figure it out. Genesis 6.5 is that sort of classic statement where the Lord said that the intentions of their heart or the imaginations of their heart were continually evil about the people of Noah's day before the flood. The next one here is chahab, and that means to plate or braid or interpenetrate or to weave. And the word that that's usually translated in more modern translations is to scheme or to plot. And so, again, it's something you do, and there's a mental activity behind it. But to isolate that as imagination is something I think we could probably look away from. And then uh, here's one, three instances, makashaban, and that is to contrive or a contrivance, and that's translated plan. And then there are four others that are used one time to translate into into um, imagination in the Old Testament. One of those words, the basic fundamental meaning of it is to assail, another is to murmur, another is to plan to, and one is to be violent or to be violent toward, okay? So so the one, in my opinion, that deals with what we would consider the concept of imagination is that first one up there, the yet's there. And we'll look at that in more detail in a second. In the King James, there's four New Testament references, uh, and they're only used once apiece. And so, again, uh, one of them is dianoiā. And it means a deep thought or the actual exercise of thinking. And that is in Luke 151. And let me read that to you. And I have about a million marked places, so we could be in trouble tonight. All right. So Luke 151 uh, is in the Magnificat. So this is, uh, this is Mary exalting the Lord. And she says, He has done mighty deeds with His arm and He has scattered those who were proud in the thoughts of their heart. Now, it says in the imagination of their hearts in King James, New American Standard says in the thoughts of their heart. That's why that one, the fundamental meaning of it, and everywhere else it might be used, it's translated thoughts. Make sense? Okay. up. Then there's uh, this one in Acts 4.25, and it's a quote of Psalms 2. Uh, why do the nations rage and the people imagine vain things, is what it says in Psalms. That's what it says uh, here To The word is... Melatao and it, it literally means to revolve around in your mind. Can anybody ever identify with a, a concept spinning around in your mind? Okay. So that's translated imagination in King James, but in the New American Standard, most other translations, it's devise. So it has to do with mulling over something, and um, it makes me think of those conversations you have with people not in the room. <laughs> In Romans one twenty one, we're familiar with this one because this is that section where we looked at the idea of the wrath of God, and it's about people who uh, um, uh, have that same kind of thing going on. They're 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 uh, twisting in their head about who God is and what's going on. So let me get there. Here we go. Hey guys. So Romans one twenty one says, for even though. They knew God, they did not honor him as God, nor give thanks, but they become futile in their speculations. So now think about this, though. All of these words, with all of the negative connotations, like stubbornness, uh, schemes, assail, murmur, be violent toward, uh, all of those ended up being translated imagination. And so it's no wonder that we're skeptical about our imaginations, I think. In the same way that we, we saw sovereignty abused in in the translations that way. Uh, so futile in their speculations, and then the other is kind of, in my at least understanding, my thinking all through my life, it's sort of the quintessential one that that defines uh, the negative aspect of of imagination, and it's that spiritual warfare passage in Second in Corinthians chapter ten, verse five. It says, "We are destroying speculations." Uh, one translation says, "casting down uh, every lofty thing and imaginations," but we're destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. Okay, so that's the uh, that's the last one there. Logismo. Now, um, one of the things that even thinking about the way it was translated in King James, there's nothing that says imagination in and of itself is innately evil, or even. Skeptical. Now, obviously, people that trusted in their imagination to walk on or people that stirred up or revolved those thoughts in their mind against God. That's kind of a negative concept. But it's a, it's, it's a thing applied in a negative way. It's not a negative thing. Make sense? And so we've got to be able to, to distinguish between that. Uh, because, yes, people are falling. Like, for instance, the passage there in Genesis 6-5, everybody's imagination was being used improperly. I mean, that was the nature of the, the way the civilization had collapsed after the fall. And, and it led to, to another. This word is used again in Genesis chapter 8 when the Lord said, I know everybody's heart from youth is this way, but I'm still not going to destroy the earth again. So we've got to be able to understand what's being said here and not just like be ultra-simplistic. I'm not trying to be overly complicated either, but ultra-simplistic about our imagination. Oh, you can't trust your imagination. Oh, you shouldn't use your imagination. You know, same with our heart. Remember we studied about the heart? Sure, your heart has the capacity to have some dark stuff in it. But it also has the capacity to house the king of glory. And one of those is more important than the other. <laughs> Which one? <laughs> you take the guess, you know. And I've actually, I've got a little illustration to show you later. But, so, this, this is really it, basically, for the words... Uh, in the in the New American Standard, there's only four references, period, that the word imagination is used, and they're different words. Dama is the word when Mordecai's talking to Esther, saying, Hey, girlfriend, don't imagine that you're going to escape this thing by just being here in the temple. And you remember it was when the, uh, uh, the king had been tricked into making a, an edict against all the Jews. So that would be just like us saying, you know, don't think you're going to get away from this just because you're on the wrong side or right side or whatever. Muskith um, is a, a picture or an image in Psalm 73, uh, 7. Uh, the, it, what it says there is that the imaginations of their mind run to riot. That's the, the New American Standard. But you can see these are entirely separate words as well. Uh, and so essentially what that means, that word is used one time, in the Old Testament for the concept of imagination and it basically means uh, living in a delusion same thing here in Proverbs 18.11 his wealth protects him like a high wall in his mind but then if you remember the proverb uh, you know he's not secure he's not safe in that and then Jeremiah 23.16 is an interesting one to me I don't know why the New American Standard does this uh, they translate the word leb which is heart in Hebrew I mean it's just heart all the time uh, and it's also used in verse 17, and they translate the exact same word as heart. So, uh, it, they basically, it speaks of a vision out of their own, it says imagination, but really it's out of their own heart. And, um, uh, that's it. Uh, it's the best that I could find. That's all the words that are used for, for imagination in scripture. Guess we're done. Yep, guess we're done. Uh, the New American Standard translates the same four verses, uh, that the King James does as imagination, but it uses thoughts, device, and speculation. Okay, any? Yes, sir, Ray. Yeah, there's one thing about this. Now, like, like uh, imaginations imagination can, can be, be like, like, you yeah, know, when yeah. you
1: imagine something, you can actually speak stuff into existence to
0: it. There's a part of that one. Yeah, it's that's exactly. what I'm talking about. Yeah. The part that where you, you imagine something, and it happens. Is so that a part of that too? Yeah, it's a big quality okay. of imagination. It's I, a quality. I would venture to say that nothing in this realm happens without it being imagined. I mean, uh, you know, somebody has to put a plan together, they have to put an idea together, they put a business plan together, or whatever the case. Sterling? Oh, okay. All right, so let's go on. Let's uh, look at this uh, definition again. Imagination is the faculty or the action of forming new ideas. Or images or concepts of external objects not present to the senses. And it's the ability of the mind, and I added the heart because of you know, the way scripture points out the heart has the ability to think, to be creative or resourceful, and the part of the mind that imagines these things. Why do you think it says external objects? Oh no. The question is why uh, does it say external objects? Like I said, it's just a definition of the dictionary. But I think the idea is that the imagination, even in a secular context, is a link between something that's unseen and that can, like Ray said, come into being out there. So, for instance, if you were to use your imagination to come up with a new medicine or a new idea for a machine or a new kind of something, it would be an external issue. I don't think it's exclusively because it also talks about images or concepts or ideas. But I think I think the external is impacted by our imagination in normal life. Make sense? Yeah. It's very limiting. Why? All right, why, all right so you it, said it's very limiting that you include says, the word external?
2: Yeah, the fact that it says external brings to mind the idea that if I'm imagining a bicycle because it's a real thing that's out there and I can actually go see it, touch it, feel it, ride it. yeah that's not imagining a concept or a thought because that's only limiting me to imagining things that are eventually able to
0: be understood by senses. Whereas I, 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 I'm not following because it it also says new ideas, images or concepts. None of those first three
2: external objects.
0: Okay, well, I don't know, you'll have to take it up with Oh yeah, with uh, Webster, whoever put that dictionary together. I I understand that you don't No, 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 stay there for a second. I understand that you don't want to limit that concept to just the initial idea of something that's going to eventually be out there. But you got to admit that at least some of the things that we imagine eventually are out there. For sure. Yeah.
2: But many of the things we imagine, fortunately,
0: probably aren't out there. That's true, too. That's true, too. I got it. Okay. So I put in heart. Now, interestingly, yet Sarah is not obviously the word here, but it, the concept is what I wanted to see. Even in, in the, the dictionary definition, it's talking about the shape or the form of something. And I think that's kind of significant. So this is kind of a definition that I came up with. And I will t- take heat for this one because I wrote this one. <laughs> our imagination is a faculty of our heart and mind that gives form to our beliefs. Make sense? Anybody wanna? That, actually, you want to... Go back up is it long or short? Short. Say it and I'll repeat it.
1: Okay, like as a man thinks, is so in his heart. Yep. Is that the same as the imagination?
0: I, I, I don't think it's okay. So as a man thinks, so uh, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Ray asked if that was the same thing, and I don't think that it's really appropriate to say it's the same thing. It's a part of it, I think. It's a part of it. But um, I think what what I'm thinking, what I'm trying to promote to us that we're going to study for a couple of weeks, is that our imagination is the is the thing that's built into our heart and mind, given by God as a gift. Or as a created aspect of Him that takes the thing we think in our heart and gives it form or gives it shape. If that's what I mean. Okay, well, then the answer would be yes, if that's what you mean. Um, uh, this is, I'm going to just start handing the mic around. This. All right, here. Run the mic for me, please.
1: Isaac, yes. I was thinking that uh, it, it, it need not be only the imagination that gives forms to our beliefs, but it could also be something that we've not believed yet, that God could be revealing, that's right. and it could be totally not in our radar at all Absolutely. at this time.
0: Oh, that's true. That's very true.
1: Yeah. And, and, and,
0: okay, so now that, I totally agree with that, and that's one of the whole points I wanted to get on this idea of, of re-venerating or re-honoring, re-esteeming our imagination. Because otherwise, all we're left with is reason. And we might as well just bail on the Christian thing and go be Greeks. But our imagination is a mechanism. <laughs> our, our, I, I just got a couple more slides to get through. It'll be cool. How are we doing on time? Yeah, we're good. I got two minutes left of my thing. Uh, but, but yes, yes, there's... I think God gave us our imagination to act as a go-between between reason and even, even stuff like trying to obey and hear and interpret what God's saying. Because God says stuff all the time. But the best we can do without help of our imagination is, is, uh, is to come at it from a reason level, a thinking kind of level. And that was one of the big debates we had on, on, on Tuesday. So like, um, in a minute, I'm going to get the mic back in your hands, Sonny, because Sonny made a pretty strong case that Faith, don't throw the line. <laughs> faith, and uh, and uh, well, that faith involves imagination all the time, based on the scripture that says that um, without faith, it's impossible to please God. You know, uh, our the prior one that says faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things unseen. All right, so here's a verse though that I want to I want to seal in our hearts a little bit. This is Isaiah twenty six three. The steadfast of mind, and the word their mind, is yet, sir, the same as imagination. Uh, you will keep in perfect peace, because he trusts in you. That's the New American Standard. Now, I don't particularly think that's the strongest translation of this, so I appeal to my old buddy, Young's Literal. <laughs> all right, so now Young's Literal, compared to this, all these italicized words, him, in perfect peace, on you, at who's, all of those are added, quote, by the translators for clarity. Young apparently doesn't care about making anything clear. He just tries to get the words down. And so this word yetzer is translated, "an imagination supported." It's beautiful. An imagination supported, thou fortifiest peace, peace. For in thee it, the imagination, is confident. Now I understand the imagination flows out of a person. But when we make everything, uh, an, uh um, when we make everything, how do I want to put this? When we, goodbye. Stop. When we make everything subservient to us as a person, then we are keeping in control of everything. You understand? what I'm saying? So there's never the capacity for mystery. There's never the capacity for anything out there. And that's what leads to like trying to interpret the scripture so that you have an answer for every question anyone could possibly ever ask. But the truth of the matter is, the majority of what's knowable about an infinite God and an infinite kingdom like heaven or the kingdom of God, we don't know. I mean, by definition, finite people can't know the majority of infinite things that are known. So we need a tool. In our in our perceptions, in our thinking ability, our feeling ability, our believing ability, we need a tool that can interface, like you say, with the things we have no reference points for, that we haven't seen yet. And I believe our imagination is one of those. Now, we're fortunate enough to have dug in a little bit about the idea of our hearts, for instance, and uh, can our imagination be used poorly? Of course it can. The 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 Genesis five example or Genesis six five, virtually everyone's imagination was being used for corruption, and I I remember the day that the Lord kind of gave me a vision of what it was like to be a person living in that day. You were and 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 my my vision started where I was this person, and I was uh, asleep and I was having just horrific night terrors, of. Of monsters and people coming at me and all this kind of stuff. And as soon as I woke up and shook my head, I immediately started to rebut that by my own judgments and my own stuff. And then I saw, you know, a person walk by, and I thought, I wonder if there's anything I can steal, or should I just go out there and attack them? You know, because it says every thought and intent of your heart, every imagination, every yeter, yeter of my heart was evil. And so you go through a whole day like that. You're terrified to go to sleep. Finally, you go into a fitful sleep and you go through the whole cycle again. Yes, this could be horrible when it's disconnected from God, but we don't live in a period like that anymore. We don't. We live in a period where Jesus has gained this enormous victory on the cross, where the Holy Spirit's been poured out on all flesh, according to Peter, and where there's a bunch of stuff going on that's redemptive through the incarnation and the purposes of God. And so um, that's why I, I just, you know, so I love this. An imagination supported. You, God, you strengthen, you fortify in peace. That's pretty cool. I think that's pretty cool. So, and here is a new new, Ameri- or new King James, which is more familiar to most of us. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Uh, there's this one in Psalms. This is also one. Uh, Psalms 103, 14, it says, For he himself knows our frame. He is mindful that we are but dust. That is a thing that's been spoken in my life and spoken in ministry for as long as I can remember as a comforting scripture. But it really is the word yetzer. He knows our imagination. He knows our ability to conceive of these things, to be framed, to be made. And keep in mind that there was a moment before God scraped together the earth when we were the in that interface between what he wanted to do and what he was going to do. So God has an imagination. That's why we have one, because we're made in his image. And his imagination is in use. So we ask a question on Tuesday. How does a God who knows everything... How can he have an imagination? Or what does he do with it? What does a God do with his imagination? And I still don't know that I have a, a concrete answer to that, but I know that that moment of time, as the Lord was beginning to gather together that earth, before he breathed into it, he had an image, a concept, external to himself, and that's debatable depending on how we, you know, understand all that. But, uh so... Our imagination is not just a deviant aspect of our mind and heart after the fall. Our imagination is an aspect of the character and the nature of God that has been given to us so that we can engage with the things of his realm, the things of his life that that we've lost reference points to and so that we can yeah hand him the mic right and so that we can be led, you know, just led into places that we haven't already been. Okay, all right, so go over there if you don't mind, so that people can see you. Sorry, it, it takes work to go to church here. here you, just, just right over there on that mic, Isaac Thanks. Vic. light: Oh,
1: sorry. <laughs> Isaac, Yeah, your question, buddy.) Um, you know, when you mentioned that, uh, you know, does God have an imagination? What's the use of His imagination? A thought that just came to my mind was: before God created man on his earth, He said, "Let us make man in our own image." Even before He formed, which means that when He said, "Let us make man," He said, "Okay, that is a concept." We know how I look, how we look as God, the Father, Son, and the mm-hmm. Holy Spirit. Yeah. So we, let's make man in our own image. So he had a, like a, a point of imagination which started the whole thing and then he carried out through his thoughts and, yeah. and then actions yeah. to make us in his own image. So some of our
0: theology makes that hard to believe because we, we talk about things like immutability and intransigence, but I think you're absolutely correct. Uh, it, wh- why don't we let God conceive of things? And then, and, and just like we're called to conceive of things. Uh, hang on. Okay. <laughs> uh, Chronicles is a, is a neat one. It shows here. Okay. So that, that, that word intentions in bold letters is the word Yetzer, which is translated imagination of the places. And, uh, so this one says, Oh Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, uh, and Israel, our fathers, preserve this forever in the imaginations of the heart of your people. So two points I wanted to make out of that. One is this is an absolutely positive use of imagination decreed by David as he was praying and so on. And there's some other spots in here where he's praying for Solomon to have that. And it is linked to our heart. So I keep thinking, every time I was studying this and running across it, I was thinking, man, when it says in the heart... Paul says that it's with a heart that a man believes. You know, it's with a heart that a man believes. It's a heart that a man believes righteousness. And so the imagination plays a role in cementing what's going on in our heart. Yes, Ray.
1: Yeah. Is it possible also...
0: When God spoke stuff into existence, it was done with his
1: imagination.
0: I think so. I think it was it was started by his imagination okay. now, i don 't know what role his imagination played, yeah. uh, but uh, to the point that Isaac made, let us there's probably a role of some kind of collaboration in there. Uh, our imagination is able to take a bit of an idea from this person, a bit of an idea from this person, uh, a word from the Holy Spirit, an inclination here, something from scripture and so I just don 't want us to be afraid of it, Sonny. Right.
3: Yeah, I think imagination is so important because it's, uh, I think the word reimagine, because since the fall, we lost the image. We lost the image of God and the image of ourselves. So God is asking us to reimage or reimagine what can be possible. You know, in 1 Corinthians, it talks about what no eye has seen or ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love Him. So we've lost the ability to see things clearly, so He's asking us to reimagine. Okay, so
0: now this also speaks, Ronnie, to your point about the definition of external. I'm not trying to pick on that. I'm just saying that some of these things already do exist. They just exist in a realm that we can't see with our normal reference points or our normal vision. Yes, sir?
2: This is a simple one. Okay. You use the word form. Yes. There's also, I think, in some of that definition was the word structure. And I see them as being synonymous. This, they both, Or they're helpful to mm-hmm. bring together something so that you can put it in a particular place yeah. and then get back to it yeah, or help it have structure. And what was funny to me is the negative aspect of stubborn. I could easily see how a structure stubbornly stays put.
0: It does, yeah. I, although they use that for negative, not positive, like you're alluding to it. Um, yeah, both of those—both structure and form and framing—is a part of the Hebrew definition, the Hebrew word "picture" about the word "yetzer." And and I do think it, it it's it's meaningful. I think it, it's it's cool. Now I know I can confess something already that's changed in me over the last few years, but this is explaining why. Is like, for instance. Uh, and I still have some doubts about some of these things and then I'm working through them. But when the teaching started to circulate about the courts of heaven, I saw that as nothing except an over-imposition of another kind of structure. But now I understand, and I'm not even saying that maybe it wasn't a little bit, but but now I'm starting to understand that there is a lot of structure in, in the world and in the heavens that I don't understand. And so I'd be better off humbling myself and letting my imagination play with that a little bit uh and again i don't think that means we have to just buy hook line and sinker everything that anybody wants to write a book about but uh but there's more going on there's stuff there's gates there's doors there's and these are straight out of the mouth of jesus we and if we don't let our imagination run then we're going to miss a lot of this stuff All right, so let's ask some questions. Let's just talk about relating to the Scripture. Jesus is teaching here. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have no storeroom nor barn, and yet God feeds them. How much more valuable are you than the birds? Does understanding that require the use, the engagement of imagination? Of course it does. Because if you don't come up with some kind of picture, you can't obey what Jesus leaves this in with you have to consider the ravens. You don't just do that in a naked abstract way as if they, you know, and like maybe maybe you know their genus name or something. You're going to be thinking about this and you're going to see them. You're going to be driving down the road and you're going to see a bunch of them sitting over on the side of the road and you're going to go, yeah, they are being taken care of. And if you happen to be in a position where you're running short, this is going to be an admonition to you. So this is like super basic scriptural learning. And and we suffer in our country because of the predominance of a Western rational kind of thinking that most people don't even consider this an important verse think about how you've heard it taught most of the time and I'm guilty of doing this in the past you boil this down to just some platitude when what it really is is an invitation to engage your imagination and start understanding something about the heart of your father the same thing down here consider the lilies how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. But I tell you, not even Solomon story was clothed, uh, clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass in the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, how much more will he clothe you, you men of little faith? So just think for me a second. Let's say you jump over to the place where Jesus is confronted by John's disciples and he said, hey, I'm telling you guys, there's nobody, nobody in that old kingdom that's greater than John the Baptist. But the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than him. How many of you have ever sat there and seriously pondered that your stature as a little one in the kingdom is better than David's, is more significant than Solomon's? (laughs) Yeah. See, this is what I'm saying. If we don't allow some of these things to start to form a picture, because you can't just think of this like you're reading a, well, you you have to engage your imagination's point. How about this one? Therefore... Since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Now, I didn't highlight those, but that's fraught with imagination fodder. you know. But then fixing our eyes on Jesus, what does that mean? Well, he's gone, I can't see him. No, you have to engage your imagination if you're going to get the benefit of this. He's the author and the perfecter of our faith. What does that mean? Does that make you feel guilty because you lack faith? Or does it give you hope that he can write another chapter of faith in your heart? And that's a metaphorical kind of imaginary image, right? Him scribing something on me. Who for the joy set before him? How do you even approach that scripture if you don't use your imagination? What was the joy set before him? When did it get set before him? Was it set before him before he came? Or was it set before him just b- immediately before the cross? And this is, this is what I want, you know, this is what I like about us, actually, is that we're willing to kick these ideas around and not, uh, fear like we're gonna fall off the edge of a platform and, and get into some kind of boogers, you know, or whatever. So, uh, for consider him who has endured such hostilities. In other words, it's not super fragile. We can think. How about this one? Therefore, if you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are here on the earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. What does that mean? What does that mean? You know? Well, you're not going to figure that out by just analyzing the sentence structure. You're going to have to step into an image of Christ seated at the right hand of God, because then that image is going to inform the one where Paul talks about in, in uh, Ephesians that we're seated with him in heavenly places. So what does that mean? And, and, and what I'm saying is I, I'm starting to get the impression that this concept of imagination is one of those things that down through the ages that the enemy himself, the liar, the suppressor wants to make us afraid of. And what I'm finding, like sovereignty and God's Magnificent power, like uh, imagination. There's a lot of things like that that the devil has sown into our culture and into our language and things like that that are essential, beautiful gifts from God so that we can both relate to Him and we can declare and proclaim the things that are, that are around us. So, does that make sense so far? Here's a good one. No imagination required to get anything out of this scripture. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and the myriad of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, and to the mediator of the new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood which speaks better than the blood of Abel. First of all, you have come cannot be dealt with without imagination. I don't remember coming, Lord. Where do I go to come there? That's not the the issue. The issue is, wow. All right, so I don't feel like I engage all these things, right? Most of the time. But when I read this, I either have to dismiss this as some metaphor I know nothing of, or I have to go ahead and allow this thing that exists between my heart, my mind, and reality to, to, to work for me. Does that make sense? And so, to me... So, do I have, okay, is the objective of using my imagination to get an exact topographical shape map in my head of Mount Zion? Not necessarily. Might that happen? It could. God could speak it if we're open. But no, it's not that. How about the city of the living God? It's okay, so like we have an ascension coming up after church, and I'm sitting here watching Nancy shake her head. One of the advantages of understanding that, that we do have access to things we don't fully understand, we have access to the kingdom, not for random irresponsible reasons, but because of the mighty work that Jesus has done, the success and his desire for us to come, to see, to know, all this kind of stuff, that when we pray, we should pray with expectation. When we prophesy, we should prophesy with a certain kind of confidence. And when we ascend and want to look around, we should look with the expectation. So here's one of the early benefits for me about thinking about this, and I want to pass it on to you guys, but you'll have to make it your own. Uh, okay, so uh, shoot me this front camera for a second, Riley. All right, so Jill, this is a little bit of the answer that we were talking about in the ascension the other day, is why is there a confidence to to speak these things out, and why did the details seem to accumulate? It's because by the grace of God, through some prophetic stuff and a lot of years of things, and then by what's been going on lately and hanging with Nancy and doing a few things, I have confidence that the Lord wants to show me stuff, and I'm not afraid that i might be wrong in how i perceive it because it's from my imagination. So i'm not afraid of that imagination anymore. I don't have to have it proven to me before the fact that i'm only going to see something good, you know, 100% accurate. What i, I mean, i i watched the disciples walk for 3 years with Jesus and at the end not be any closer to an accurate conclusion about what his objective was regarding the kingdom of god. And so, you know, and he loved them and they changed the world forever. So he can do that with you and he can do that with me. And, and, and that was just, that's kind of one of the most, um, probably the most helpful mind changes is that Lord, you built me to see. Now I don't necessarily see right all the time, but I'm going to give myself to that scene. Does that make sense?
4: It does. It does. And, um, and, and um, she's been, she been, she, been she, talking, and been thinking, you know, point, you know, why? Why I, ask I asked my question? Why I, do you, know, do you know, I'm trying to learn. Um, um I, I have struggled with in, believing that, that my thoughts, my thoughts are, are uh, from the Holy Spirit, that revelation from the Spirit, and. Um, I think part of it is that in the the circles that I pray with um, there's some really gifted seers and people who actually audibly hear the voice of God or who sense in their body strongly certain things and they have such confidence in what they're experiencing and for me until so far, it's primarily been thoughts. Mm-hmm. And I consider that part of an inspired, potentially, ins- divinely inspired uh, revelation. But it seems fuzzier or something to the other people. I'm not talking about ascension groups. I've never experienced in uh, our ascension anybody. Uh, being suspicious that my thoughts are from my carnal nature. Although, of course, that can always be for any of our revelations. Absolutely. But, um, I have in other groups that, you know, I have not only felt it, but they've told me that. They've said, Jill, you're so analytical. You're so intellectual. Uh, you know the word and you come up with a scripture that matches, but it's not the Holy Spirit, you know. You're just speaking out of your mind. But our minds can receive revelation.
0: Can't they? They, they can. And, and that, that's, what I, that's what I'm thinking about, about this, is that our imagination is tied in, not as some life boy thrown while we're struggling to stay above the water. It's designed by God, and administered by the Holy Spirit, and nurtured by the Word, so that we can grow in our ability to hear the Lord. Nancy.
5: Yeah, I want to just speak to Jill. Uh, People see in different ways. Some people are radical seers, which is what I am. Other people are sensors, and they sense things, and they can be 100% accurate about the things that they're sensing, even though they don't see it in visible sight. Other people are hearers. And what, what I hear you saying is that you're, you're confused about whether the things you're hearing in your mind are really from the Lord or not. The issue is when you ask the Lord for a good gift, He's not going to give you a stone or a a serpent. He's going to give you the thing that you ask for. You have the mind of Christ. Therefore, your thoughts can be configured by His thought patterns. Another thing that I wanted to say because you, you brought this up and it's been mentioned several different times is God, God's imagination created all things. And actually we were in his imagination before the earth was ever created and we existed in that place. So, so the issue of him having an imagination is Ephesians chapter six, verse one and two. It says we're called to be co-workers and co-creators together with Him for the establishment of His kingdom and His righteousness in all of the earth." If we're going to be co-creators, we have to be able to see what's in his mind for the thing to be created. Mm-hmm. Because our purpose is to bring Mount Zion in the city of the living God in the heavenly Jerusalem down out of the heavens to establish it in the earthly realm. So without the capacity to be able to see that or to sense it or to even be a hearer, um, we, we we don't know how to create accurately. And it's by seeing the things, everything that Jesus did and every word in the scripture is a picture. And the reason why he gave us the pictures, just say, in the parables, was because he knew that the mind of man demanded to see something. And so he took huge, vast, unlimited kingdom principles and brought them down into little everyday pictures that the mind of man could wrap itself around. The last thing I want to say about this is because there's there's uh, two standards that are shown in the word imagination even the ones that we created today. One is evil and the other is good. One is stubborn and another one is to form or to shape something. So so the the purpose of our imagination being active in ascension experience is that we're called to form and shape something to be co-workers together with him for the establishment of his kingdom. So the idea of the pictures, let's just say Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, myriads of angels, those are things that we have to see or sense or experience before we can be qualified to bring down the things that we're seeing from the heavenly realms and manifest those things in the earth. So uh, I just really want to encourage you, Jill, get into some type of ascension group. Because when you have questions and doubts, um, every, every purpose that we are setting our hands to, and this is what this whole thing is about, because it's taking the word imagination and turning it back into the righteous real. So our purpose is to take the twisted counterfeit, which deals with all the evils their heart was, only to do evil continually without ceasing, and switch that thing around and make it uh, represent the righteous real. Because the devil cannot create. All he can do is take something that God himself has created and slightly twist it so that it has a different meaning in our mind or in our imagination. Mm-hmm. Our purpose at the present moment as co-workers and co-creators together with him to establish his kingdom is to take that which he has slightly twisted and untwist it so that we can regain the righteous real and take on the mind of Christ, which is the mind of the Father, bringing us all the way back to the capacity to redeem our, our, our primordial position in Him, which is to function as He functions. So I just really want to encourage you get into some kind of a group. Well, she's in
0: our ascension group.
5: Oh, she's in the she's ascension in group. She's in Tim and Oh, oh yeah. that's good. Yeah. So we're that's making,
0: good. yeah. She's, she's, and, and she's not a, Non-contributing member. (laughs) Yeah. It's all good. It's all good. But you have
5: to... The Lord says He's given us courage and boldness to know our access to His throne. So you, you just step into the courage and boldness that He's already given you because as a participator... Already, and one that is adding to the ascension groups. Every word of every person in an ascension group is essential to the fulfillment of Mm -hmm. the whole picture.
0: We saw that this week. That's cool. Thanks. So here's here's what I think. One of the problems is that you have to face this kind of stuff a little bit head on. Uh, Nobody, none of your Christian friends, and nobody in this room would disagree if somebody said, you know, Jesus said, this is how we're supposed to pray. Pray that the, uh, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Everybody just nod their head and go, yep, 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 yep. But the minute you start adding details, <laughs> what is his will? I mean, how many, how many conversations throughout your Christian life have you heard trying to distinguish what his will is? It's like it's some unknown quantity. But it's built in to that basic admonition, pray this way. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When we start adding details, or when we hear those details talked about in terms that we're unfamiliar with, we start to dig in our heels and back up and balk. Uh, but but that's not how the kingdom is built, and that's not how a child is. And, Joe, one other point that we talked about a few weeks ago here is that that's what's so amazing. When Jesus said, uh, unless you are converted and become as a little child, you'll never see the kingdom. We just got to go for that. We just have to go and allow that, that innocence and that creativity and that imagination and, and, and nobody wants to suppress that unless they're just an absolute idiot of a parent. You want to let kids be that way. You want to encourage that. But we get embarrassed when people around us do that. We get embarrassed because we think for something there's some kind of adult sophistication that we bought into that's meaningless. So. Uh, cool. Great. Great. Anyway, that's, that's kind of what I wanted to share from what we talked about the other day. And then, uh, so we're embracing imagination. Let's give honor to the creative gift of our imagination. So how do you honor something like that? You give it a place in your repertoire of prayers and ascensions and, and, and Bible study. Don't just read over, next time you read something in the scripture, if it's if it's got a picture in it if it's got a the kingdom of heaven is like in it those all call for imagination if it's got a word in it, word in it you have to get a picture in your head before you know what the next word is going to relate to does this make sense is a big deal this is a big deal again because we have a tendency to try to add value through reasoning and rational and, and it's, it's not unusual that we do because all of us were born post division between spiritual and faith and things like that and the rational. And so for hundreds of years, you know, 400 years ago or so, 500 years ago, the whole of the European continent was in this battle to try to assign meaning. And 99% of the meaning got assigned to the rational side. And it, it's, it's just developed our cultures and done all those kinds of things. So we're in a position where that can change. And uh, it's funny because you have people resist it, Sonny, like when we were talking about it the other night. And, and quite honestly, if you just slow down and think about it, Sonny's statement that all faith requires imagination. Of course it does. Otherwise, there's nothing to put faith in. <laughs> there's, there's, that Faith can be... Invested in you know. Now there's elements where and Jill, this is a good point that, that you brought up, not everything has to have a big grandiose portrait. Sometimes it can be the belief in words, sometimes it can be belief in the concept, but there's always something going on in our imagination. And 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 I just know for a fact that our imagination is a part of our hearts and minds function. And it's 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 somehow given to us as a go-between to get from what's here and here into what's out here in the world. And so when we start adding details, like you're talking about Nancy of co-creating with God, obviously that's what he wanted for men from the start. The very first thing he told Adam and Eve to do was go do that. The very thing that Jesus did before his disciples were trained in anything was lay hands on them and send them out to heal the sick and cast out demons. If we even consider doing that, we consider that some kind of fruit for the end of your discipleship schooling or something. Because we lack the innocence of a child to embrace the thing God's given us. Ronnie, this will be the last one.
2: It's a deep thought.
0: Okay. Maybe. They, it, it could it, be interpreted negatively by uh, it, King James translator. Could,
2: what is the difference between imagination and thinking?
0: Uh, they are involved with one another. All right, Um, so thinking has, I think, a certain kind of limit on it that imagination doesn't. In other words, thinking, in my understanding of, when I think about thinking, I think that I'm pretty much limited to my own reference points in one way or another. Imagination jumps into the front when I start going beyond with questions like what if or or what if we did this or, or what if it looked like that or what if you were gonna say that or do this? That would be the only answer. Do you think do you agree? I don't.
2: But um I think that thinking that imagination is part of thinking. I think, think I believe that thinking is the bigger thing and imagination okay. is a subset of it. Okay. Potentially. Okay. But with the idea of... That's why I do these in series, because I could be wrong and I might be able to <laughs> figure with, it out later. With the main idea of people that are concerned or afraid of imagining, they probably aren't afraid of thinking. And so if they can perceive... the I'm trying to use not use the word think all the time. Sure, if sure. If they could perceive of not separating imagination away from their thinking, yeah. it may not be as hard for... For them to honor imagination as a form
0: of thinking. thinking. That's good. It could be a way that we could, I mean, it could be a part of a language that we could use to reach other people. I don't think anybody that comes here more than three times is afraid of thinking. Um, But I do think a lot of people don't like to think. They want to be told what to believe. And they want to assume that they can believe it by just agreeing with whoever told them. And that's not really it. Go ahead, Jen.
6: I actually want to respond to Jill. Can I do that? Yeah, sure. So I'm Jen, and um, I just appreciate your honesty uh, about your experience. Um, and what I was thinking about when you were sharing how, and sounds like in some other circle, um, I got the I got the feeling they were kind of coming. At you in a negative way, uh, saying that you're rational and, and you're bringing the word, but uh, I just feel like the enemy uses lots of different ways to try to accuse us, condemn us, make us feel inferior, make us feel like our part is insignificant, somehow this person um, is more spiritual, and I just don't think that at all. Um, God confirms things through His word. And so what you have to offer is um, magnificent. And so don't don't let the enemy lie okay. to you even through well-meaning friends. Um, because everyone has a part, everyone has a role, and it comes out differently. There's a lot of times in groups, um, I would get an impression of or I'd get a quickening of a scripture, or something, and it and it, you know, it it just added something else to the group. It wasn't something's higher, something's better, something's uh, inferior. So I just really encourage you to cast that down. That's Amen. not that's not insignificant, and you're not insignificant. Mm-hmm. But thank you for sharing with us.
0: Amen. Amen. Okay. Well. Cool. Yes, yeah, Sunny. All right, this is going to have to be the last one.
3: Okay, I was just tagging on what Nancy was saying about being co-creators. But take all the time, Abe. You, um, you know, originally we were, co- we were supposed to be co-creators, and it, it was actually subverted through imagination, and that's what the enemy brought to Eve. Mm-hmm. Was There was reason, but starting to imagine a different thing, and he actually subverted the process. And... Uh, because like Tuesday night, my premises was imagination fuels desire. And desire and coupled with the Spirit of God and your spirit is actually the driving force of how we do everything. That's the energy right there. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's really important, that's imagination. Funny. Yeah,
0: that's true. You know, something I'm going to look at as we move through the next few weeks of this, uh, Jesus brought that redeemed Imagination back into play in the earth, and I just a couple little illustrations. Uh, the Jews brought the woman caught in adultery before him. No imagination required. She was caught in adultery. We're going to stone her. Uh, he brought it back in. His whole his whole way of answering questions with questions. He goes in. He turns over the table. They say, say, "But what authority do you do this?" He said, "Well, let me ask you a question." Was John's baptism of, of heaven or of men? And when they and, and, and if you'll tell me the answer, I'll, I'll tell you by what authority I do this. And they wouldn't answer. These are, this is an engagement of this thing I call imagination. I think Jesus, there's probably more in the scriptures to see about what this is like when it's cut loose. And I think it probably relates to things like wisdom, probably relates to things like revelation and all this kind of stuff. So I think we're on a, an interesting topic. And I just want to set you free, and I agree. Um, Yeah.